Welcome to the Counselors of Real Estate's Top 10 in 10 podcast series. In these 10-minute episodes, we'll discuss one of the prevailing 2021-22 Top 10 issues affecting real estate. I'm your host, Jonathan Schein, CRE, and also CEO and Executive Director of the Real Estate Limited Partner Institute in New York. Counselors of Real Estate are trusted advisors finding solutions to complex real estate challenges. Experienced, innovative, and credentialed problem solvers, counselors practice in 21 countries and offer expertise in more than 60 real estate disciplines across all asset types and classes. Each has earned the prestigious CRE designation. Our guest for this episode is George Vallone, CRE, president and broker of record of Hoboken Brownstone Company a multifaceted real estate development firm active along New Jersey's Hudson River Gold Coast. He has built more than he's built mid-rise and high-rise condominiums as well as more than 1000 affordable housing units throughout most of New Jersey's urban markets. George authored the narrative supporting the number 6 issue on this year's compilation of top 10 issues affecting real estate, housing supply and affordability. To review all issues in this year's report, visit cre.org/top10. Welcome George. Thank you. Good to be here. Appreciate the time. All righty. So a year ago, there was a shortage of approximately 7.2 million affordable units for extremely low-income households. This year, the shortage has been reduced to approximately 6.8 million affordable units. What's happening, and is this improvement a sustainable trajectory? Well, what happened was during the pandemic, there was a lot of public assistance money that was made available. And that took a lot of people out of shelters and a lot of people that were co-living with uh, other families, um, which is usually illegal. If you're in a one family apartment, you're only supposed to have one family there, but they were just moving in with people. Um, so those two things uh, helped to get more people into affordable housing. But the larger uh, impact was Due to the pandemic and its effect on the economy, many states characterized uh, certain businesses as essential and certain businesses as non-essential. Essential services could continue to work, and uh, as long as they followed the protocols of distancing, hand washing, mask wearing, etc., and uh, the affordable housing, uh, for the most part, in almost every state that I'm aware of, affordable housing development was considered an essential service. And only in some states was market rate housing considered essential. So the shift in emphasis of builders that had to keep building, uh, if they were in a state where housing, where only affordable housing was essential and allowed to proceed, they shifted their business models and they went into building affordable housing just to keep the guys busy and uh, to keep the revenue coming in. So I think it was a combination of all those things that sort of accelerated the uh, production of affordable housing during the pandemic. Um, so that's the, that's pretty much my view of it, of that question. But again, do you see that this is sustainable or do you think we're going to go back to some semblance of what what was or a Well, I think in the absence of any other change, I'd say we'd go back to being producing much less affordable housing than is required. However, there's some interesting new things happening on the horizon now. The the affordable housing has been linked to other social equity uh, initiatives, I'll call them, Black Lives Matter, um, just to name one. Um, 
So I think what you're going to see, and, and it's starting to show up in local legislation, because land use in, in the United States is all locally regulated, uh, I think you're going to start to see initiatives that are going to make the zoning approval process for affordable housing much, much easier. Um, as an example, California just passed a law allowing accessory dwelling units. Um, Another state, I can't remember the state right now, but another state said that single-family housing is no longer going to be permitted. Now, that's really radical, and that's being challenged in court right now. I'm not sure that's going to stand up. But the, the issue really in, in, at the bottom line, the issue is that it's going to become easier to, to get zoning approvals for affordable housing. Um, another initiative that's happening here in New Jersey, and I know it's happening in other states, too, is transit-oriented development is going to start to be approved at, at either the county or the state level. So, for example, if you have a piece of property that's adjacent to a train station or a bus stop, um, you're going to be able to get very, very high-density zoning uh, right around there because affordable housing, you know, one of the components of affordable housing that has to be factored in uh, in terms of ability to pay is commuting. If somebody has a long, expensive commute, that's obviously going to cut into their income, and that's obviously going to make them able to afford less housing. So I think that, it, I think that it's going to be sustainable, that the increase in uh, production of affordable housing, I believe it is going to continue to accelerate. Um, if the Biden Build Back Better plan gets adopted at whatever number of trillion dollars they end up settling on, uh, there's going to be a huge component of that that's going to be for affordable housing, too. So um, combination of the two things, which I pointed out were the biggest barriers to affordable housing in my uh, first article on the subject, which is the NIMBY attitude. Everybody says we need lots of affordable housing, but not in my backyard. And, uh, and the lack of, of a significant increase in affordable housing subsidies, tax credits, and, uh, and permanent and construction financing subsidies, uh, to be specific. So that brings up, you did mention NIMBY, and that brings up uh, another point in, in the, um, what you wrote in the top 10. Uh, you've used the phrase housing discrimination in America when referring to the chronic lack of affordable housing. How, how did America get here? Well, it really, you'd have to go back almost to the post-Civil War period where uh, Reconstruction began in the South and there was a, I guess it was a discrimination-based bias against minority housing. Uh, and it showed up in a number of court cases that are detailed in the appendix to my article. I won't go through the whole history of mm -hmm. the legislative process and judicial process that got us to where we are today, where all housing discrimination is illegal. Um, it literally took over 100 years for the courts to come around and support that theory. Uh, it wasn't really until the 80s, I, I believe it was, that full-blown discrimination of any kind in housing was declared illegal by the Supreme Court. So it's been a long haul. Um, you know, sometimes the discrimination was disguised as uh, redlining, and, uh, and the banks said that, you know, certain neighborhoods don't have the value 
Well, the question really is, is it the cart or is it the horse? You know, did they have no value because they had no value, period? Or did they have no value because banks weren't willing to finance housing in those neighborhoods? I would suggest it was the latter of those two things that caused the problem. Um, I think that as society evolves and as the tolerance and acceptance for all kinds of people uh, from all races, colors, creeds, et cetera, sexual orientation, et cetera, I believe that um, it's getting better. I think people are getting more tolerant. I think people are getting more accepting of diversity. Um, I think every generation that goes along, I mean, I compare my my parents' generation, which was the greatest generation, the World War II generation, and their attitude and, and, and the environment they grew up in, in terms of discrimination, compared to me, I'm a baby boomer, um, and, and the whole evolution of thought and social equity uh, justice type uh, issues. Um, and then I compare the evolution to my kids now that are millennials, and they are, you know, we thought as baby boomers, you know, was the love and peace generation, and we thought we were very tolerant. But when I see how tolerant and accepting my kids are of all kinds of diversity, uh, it gives me great hope that this is a societal evolution, and I think that as each generation comes up and takes their place, uh, their role in society as, as decision makers, as consumers. I think it's going to continue to improve. And I'd like to say we're just maybe a generation or two away before all discrimination uh, of this type uh, is, has been just eliminated. It just becomes not part of the thinking process of the majority of the population. I'm very optimistic that we're moving in the right direction. Um, so I think that housing equity uh, as a component of overall social justice equity uh, is is really coming to the forefront now because it was such a it was such a visible uh, uh, evidence of discrimination that it seems as though it's going to be the easiest one to solve uh, over time as the as the generations evolve and as, and as societal justice. And, and fair equity issues become more and more um, to the forefront of, of, of discussions uh, in society, I think we're going to be able to solve the problem uh, at, at an ever-increasing uh, rate. Well, you know, George, that's a very hopeful note to go out on, especially uh, on this day before Thanksgiving. So I want to thank you. We're grateful for your knowledge and contributions to this year's report. All the 20... 21, 22 top issues are highly interconnected and indicative of a changing and evolving real estate landscape. Join us next time for another discussion of one of the top 10 issues affecting real estate. I'm Jonathan Shine on behalf of the Councils of Real Estate. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Top 10 in 10.